Welcome to Parlay Me Power Players. This is a podcast that explores the latest entrepreneurs, startups, founders, business leaders, and even enterprises that are changing the game. We call them the disruptors. You might see them as your mentors or maybe even your colleagues, but we are so excited to bring to you each week someone we find either fascinating, progressive, or someone that's really making changes in all kinds of industries. We are agnostic in what we cover, so we cover everything from mobility to AI to food and produce, you name it, we cover it. But most importantly, we want to showcase to you entrepreneurs that are really making a difference and making the world a better place. Hi folks and welcome to Parlay Me Power Plays podcast. Today we are super excited for this episode. I know we, we're always excited but we're particularly excited for this episode. We have a very special and unique guest on the show today and I'm going to go about pronouncing his name as best I can. We have Anand Venkatsvaran or otherwise known as Troubadour. So I would best describe Tubador as an early adopter and pioneer in the NFT space who spurred on not only an industry, but I would actually say a movement in the NFT space. So Tubador is the steward, if you will, of Metapurse, a fund that he manages. And they recently, well, relatively recently, purchased the Every Days, the first 5,000 days by Mike Winkleman, or better known as Beeble for all those out there, and they purchased it for a cool $69 million <laughs> from the iconic art auction house Christie's at a time really when people were only just beginning to understand the power and the relevance of NFTs. So this news made headlines across the world for many firsts, and this was the third highest price paid at an auction for work by living artists. And the work is essentially, it's an NFT. So it's a non, for those that don't know, it's a non-fungible token, meaning it is unique digital file on the blockchain. And we'll get into that a bit later. So don't worry, (laughs) keep up with us, but we will get into this throughout the podcast. But Troubadour is the manager of Metapurse, an impact fund, an NFT production studio that collects NFTs and believes in a mindset of abundance. Metapurse is a crypto-based 180 million investment fund that reportedly owns the largest collection of NFTs in the world and is financed by founder Metacoven. Now, He is a Singaporean-based blockchain entrepreneur, otherwise known as Vignesh Sundar, and I'm going to try and pronounce these names correctly, Vignesh Sundaresan, and managed also by Tubidor. So Metapurse Fund is not only limited NFTs, but also seeding and financing projects that bolster these causes and tell the unique stories that inspire these spends. So we're particularly excited to chat to Tubidor today. For all of these reasons, but also also on a personal note, he was a former journalist across print and broadcast, and he has been an associate of Meta Coven's uh, since 2017. He also describes himself as a truffle sniffer, <laughs> a lover of NFTs. He writes everything and is steward's metapurse. If you haven't been hiding under a rock of late, you've likely heard of the term non-fungible token or NFT, 
Maybe you're a skeptic, a believer, or perhaps you still don't really know what exactly it is. In any case, this podcast is for you. So just to get a little bit technical before we dive into it, NFT stands for non-fungible token, a digital token that is redeemable for a digital piece of art. You can have it on your computer server. You can have it as an event on your phone. Um, It's digital items that are essentially managed on the blockchain and it can include collectibles, gaming items, digital art, event tickets, even domain names and even ownership records for physical assets. So if you're curious to learn more about this space, then let's get into it. With no further ado, welcome Troubadour to Parlay Me Power Plays podcast. Thank you, Janjuri. Great to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you. And that was a lengthy introduction, but I think it was needed to kind of understand the space and what you guys are doing at Metapurse. So I'd love to start off um, before we talk about Beeble and the NFT purchase, which was huge, obviously. Um, Perhaps we'll begin with how you got involved in NFT and the whole metaverse world and what drew you to it. Um, Perhaps you can share with us your upbringing. Were you always an entrepreneur at heart? How did you forge your way from being a journalist to managing one of the today's one of the most influential crypto-based funds? Well, I'm a poster child for imposter syndrome, I'd say, oh. right now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I belong here at all. <laughs> I, I entirely stumbled into this space is, uh, is the best way I can describe it. And uh, um, in fact, maybe my journey within the crypto space is also a metaphor for, uh, for how the world has looked at crypto and accepted it over the last uh, 10 years. It's pretty, it's pretty strange, actually, at least the uh, non-technical, non-finance uh, uh, part of the world. So mm-hmm. uh, I was first introduced to Bitcoin by Vignesh in 2013, which is pretty early uh, yes. on in the game. But, uh, you know, I mean, he found it uh, when he was an app developer in Chennai and he and I were working together when I was uh, a journalist there. And uh, uh, typically generous, he told me everything that he knew at that point, but it completely flew over my head. I couldn't relate to it at all. And so he went off to, you know, pursue his uh, journey of entrepreneurship and adventure. And uh, it took me four more years to start to finally understand what he was talking about. So I meandered my way through, um, you know, advertising, through writing about supply chain finance, financial technology, and, and for uh, Inexplicably, I spent six months writing about trucks for some reason. So you know, I did all that. And yeah. finally, in uh, the more I learned about uh, finance, the more I learned about money, the more I learned about, uh, more I became uh, politically and socially aware, the more mm-hmm. crypto started to make sense to me. And so in mm-hmm. 2017, um, we reconnected again. I mean, we've uh, we'd been in touch uh, all through. and I've been following his uh, meteoric rise um, in this space for a while and uh, he got back in touch and asked if uh, I'd, I'd work with him on something and I jumped at the chance so the mm. first few years of uh, my journey in crypto was about um, you know was, was very deep in DeFi actually decentralized finance so we built a protocol together called uh, Lendroid I was uh, one of the uh, people that were involved in uh, you know in, in that for a while but I think it started to make sense to me, the crypto itself. I found my groove, uh, as I could say, when um, when the pandemic hit 
actually uh, mm-hmm. in the beginning of 2020 and i found nfts on my own uh, because all of these suddenly all of these abstract concepts in crypto right you know inalienable ownership of financial independence and immutability suddenly they they became vivid they became visual they became mm-hmm. gamified and that's the best way i can describe nfts right so all of these are now packaged so you know up until then crypto was looking at cryptos like looking at uh, say an internal combustion engine to to mm-hmm. the non initiated it looks like a hunk of metal you don't know what it's going to do but you put it inside a car or you place it in an elevator and now you know it's going somewhere that that it's mm-hmm. exciting that it's got potential and that's what happened uh, with nfts and me and uh, for a lot of people i suppose right so you don't need to know about uh, you know you you, know, you don't need to be very well versed in financial instruments or be technically brilliant to understand NFTs. And uh, well, that's that's the long and short of it. I love it. I love it. Um, well, you have actually, in fact, answered my next question with how, how did you meet Vignesh? So that's brilliant how you came to meet him and how you formed, obviously, this, this you know, a partnership and this business relationship. So it's brilliant. I, I guess the next question, and um, to kind of pivot off what you're saying, NFTs are, you know, ultimately the product of, of where it's going in uh, crypto. But my next question is why perhaps, I and a lot of people want to know, um, the Beeble NFT. So there's so many art pieces out there. We'd love to know, like, what resonated with you that you'd fork out six nine million. Um, can mm. you talk about the strategy, like maybe going into the sale? Did you anticipate spending this much? Um, and, like, how exciting or stressful was that process? Oh, it was it was not exciting at all. It was very <laughs> very stressful, and uh, yeah. because we had no idea um, how high the auction would go, right? But mm-hmm. our only effort uh, in the weeks preceding the people uh, auction was mm-hmm. to make sure that uh, there were no artificial uh, caps on how much we could spend. Because uh, mm-hmm. any this is the fundamental difference between uh, a crypto marketplace and a conventional art marketplace, right? Nobody tells you, uh, you know, how much money you can spend or where you can spend it on in crypto. And uh, in a place like Christie's, you do get put uh, an arbitrary ceiling based on your relationship with them or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, how long you've uh, you've been on the platform and so on and so forth. So, you know, so we we spent a lot of time in developing that uh, relationship in uh, very uncharacteristically opening up. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of our, uh, you know, personal details, I mean, on Vignesh's front, uh, you know, to make them comfortable that, you know, we were good for the money <laughs> that we were, and oh, all of that. Oh, yes. Right? So, oh. so going in, we had no idea that it would uh, get this big, but then uh, it did. And uh, our only intention was to make sure we brought the BPPs home uh, because we believed it belonged in the metaverse. And uh, why would we, you know, spend that amount of money or why would we, um, you know, what attracted us to the BPPs was not the work of art itself, but what it represents, right? To us, uh, Beeple is a is a metaphor for a digital native generation. Uh, in For one, this, this, this work of art is the, the historic, um, how do I call this? The cultural and historic significance of this piece is undeniable, right? I mean, here you have uh, uh, 150 year old, uh, you know, I think it's a 230-year-old institution, I think, Christy. Well, mm-hmm. you have an, an institution of, of, of that uh, pedigree in history pivoting and, and sort of turning on a dime in response to a phenomenon 
that's hardly a year and a half old. Mm. And for the first time in history, you have a, a purely digital work of art and an NFT being auctioned off. So there's that pocket to one side. Mm. For the other, the 5,000 days represents this almost spiritual level of consistency by one person, right? You know, who, who went in and decided to make art for art's sake day in and day out on his good days, on his bad days, on his sick days, on his healthy days, on the days that his wife went into labor. I mean, for God's sake, he didn't miss a single day. That wow. kind of consistency. And also you can see the arc of how he grew as an artist, right? Through those images. Right? The first one is, you know, a, a sketch on the back of a napkin. And then he gets better and better and better. And so that the, the idea of committing to something with that level of consistency appealed to us greatly. And the fact that, you know, it, it's also a, a fairy story, right? In a way, you, you work at something, you grow and you hit the end of the rainbow. So this is what attracted us to, to, the, to the work of art. And we felt that that vibe or, you know, that, that intention, that consistency, it belonged in the metaverse. And so we brought it back home. Oh, I love that. I love that term. You brought it back home. That's brilliant. We certainly did that. I, I guess, um, you know, for those there are obviously with any cultural phenomenon, there's skeptics, there's um, fanatics, you know, there's uh, early adopters. Um, it, I, I'm interested, like, you know, people saying things like, oh, it's a marketing, you know, marketing ploy to kind of, you know, get Metapurse on the map. And obviously it has done that to some degree, but, I mean, no one spends six to nine million on a marketing campaign, right? So I'd, I'd love to... Well, thank you for saying that. <laughs> no one spends that. <laughs> I mean, you know, unless you're maybe Nike, but even so. But um, I, I'd love to know kind of, I guess, the long-term plans for this art piece because it seems from, you know, um, interviews I've heard you do in the past and, and whatnot is you're not looking for a quick kind of flip, if you will. Um, uh, you have more kind of long-term uh, goals in mind. Do, can you share those with us today? Sure. Why not? Um, yeah, I, <laughs> thank you for recognising that, uh, you know, this, this couldn't have been a, a marketing campaign worth $69 million because, uh, I mean, we're not selling anything to the world, are we? There, there is no product. There is no service that we have that we wanted to sell to people. So... Um, you know, it, it was, it, it's something else uh, entirely. Um, it definitely sent out a signal, not always the right one, to be honest, January, because when you do something as uh, unsubtle as a $69 million purchase, um, it opens up a lot of doors and not always the right ones. Our intention has always been to work with artists and creators. And that has happened. I mean, we've forged some amazing relationships uh, post the people sale. But, um, you know, uh, the majority of the inbound requests that we get uh, sort of translate to, I have NFT, give me money. <laughs> and it also sort of labels us as these, uh, you know, these, these NFT hype masters, mm -hmm. which, is, which is not the case. Mm -hmm. And that's not the uh, signal we necessarily wanted to send out, but mm -hmm. it is something that we will have to undo through, uh, you know, through our subsequent efforts and which has been um, the case uh, since the people sale, right? Mm -hmm. So Dreamverse was one such uh, example of what we wanted to do. You know, we forged these beautiful relationship with uh, hundreds of artists in the space mm -hmm. and found a way to showcase them and, and to sort of show our love. Um, our intentions for the people piece itself are uh, pretty straightforward. We brought it to the metaverse. And so uh, it will be housed in um, um, in the souk, 
um, which is which is uh, which has been designed by these amazing architects out of New York. Mm. They, they're called Holly Thirteen, and uh, one of them is uh, Eric de Brochecom, who is uh, uh, you know this this designer and, and and composer out of France, and the other is Joshua Ramis, who is um, you know who's currently uh, the architect behind the Perelman Performing Arts Center at the World Trade Center in New York. Wow. So they designed this beautiful thing to to sort of redefine how you look at space and experience in the metaverse and that's going to be the permanent home of the people piece mm. and also a, a sort of a, a, a cultural focal point in the metaverse in that it will house not just a perennial gallery for crypto art but mm. also uh, performances um, theater you know you know um, shows and and uh, uh, live music performances and so on and so forth in the metaverse that's what we want to do Fantastic. So you, you're essentially building a platform um, of sorts. And Souk, Souk is an interesting name. Um, can you tell us uh, the relevance or the meaning of that? Or is it just one of these arbitrary names that sounds good, which is fine as well? <laughs> well, it, it had, you know, it, it's weird, right? It's uh, also an example of how things uh, evolve. Um, the initial idea for uh for the souk was to create a sort of a the souk uh, we were talking about. Uh, the initial idea for the souk was to create a sort of a, a marketplace, uh, a three-dimensional marketplace in the metaverse, <clears throat> and so that's why we we named it the souk. But then uh, it's it's evolved into something way more interesting, as far as I'm concerned. So what it does is to uh, combine all of the uh, elements of a souk, all of the chaos, all of the color, uh, but without the marketplace aspect of it being central to it. So that's why, I mean, a, a souk is basically a bazaar or uh, a marketplace, you, you know, typically um, that's where it came from. That's what, the, that's where the name comes from. Beautiful. Oh, wow. Sounds, sounds very, you know, beautiful and rich, um, especially if you've got these amazing artists building it for you, how architects, brilliant. Um, so I, I guess why we're talking about, I'd love to just do a little bit of a deeper dive for those listening that, you know, they've heard about NFTs, they may not know exactly what they are, hopefully they're learning today. But let's like, I guess, go a little bit deeper. Um, You know, and you've spoken about it, I think, before in some of your interviews, again, um, that you like, like, why you think that NFTs are the future of cryptocurrency? And what is it about NFT artwork, that I guess, breaks previous expectations and rules on how art is created? shared and ultimately valued right yes that's that's entirely true um nfts are the future of crypto because they have effectively subsumed all of the innovations that have come before them think about this right well you know Mm. all of the previous inflection points in the crypto journey uh, you know bitcoin altcoins the ico boom DeFi, and all of that right they've They've been driven by uh, finance or financial instruments and NFTs are driven by culture, which is way more uh, exciting and durable as a concept, right? So there is no, um, you know, the, the idea of it being a bubble uh, no longer exists because it's, there is no culture bubble that can't exist. It's, it's a continuum in that sense. And it also consumes all of these, uh, you know, um, financial and technological innovations in that uh, within the NFT space, you find, uh, you know, DeFi thriving. Uh, within the NFT space, you can find, you know, various pockets of cultures and subcultures thriving. So in a sense, what I'm trying to say is that the NFT movement is the renaissance of our times. 
it is a perfect convergence mm. uh, of uh, technology and finance and all of it is driven by art and culture that's why it's significant that's why it's important not for any one particular uh, thread of technology um what it does to art essentially is uh, uh, twofold right uh, the nft space has the largest concentration of full time artists than anywhere else in the planet <laughs> and with, with with good reason uh, for one for the first time ever artists are able to um, you know look at a, a viable alternative economic model to what they've been exposed to right which is uh, quite mm-hmm. you know exploitative to be honest right the conventional art system is exploitative to artists they um, you know mm. the idea of royalties which they've been fighting for are now baked into smart contracts and artists don't have to worry about it anymore it's like uh, the gold standard in um, in the nft space now the other part is mm. that it instantly offers a global marketplace which didn't exist before right and the mark and in that marketplace an artist is able to have control and ownership over their identity over uh, over their artwork itself and how it is monetized which is not the case on any other internet platform so for these reasons they redefine art there's also another aspect to it is that uh, we essentially live in a post scarcity world and this is the next stage in evolution we haven't seen that yet because art is still sold as um, you know um, one of ones right or you know limited edition uh, uh, works of art scarcity is artificial in the metaverse uh in and in crypto right so i'm i'm very very interested and curious in in sort of uh, seeing where all of this leads next because we do live in a post scarcity world uh where and i've been trying to articulate it in my head for a while now is that art is precious not like you know some some rare metal um or 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 mineral is but precious in a way that air or water is do you know what i mean it must mm-hmm. be extremely accessible it must be part of your it must be infused into your everyday life and that's why it's it's precious mm-hmm. um so so this this mm-hmm. shift in thinking i think will um will happen because of nfts yeah wow that's extraordinary thank you for sharing that with us um you've definitely answered my next question which was to the skeptics that are all like is it a get rich quick scheme masquerading as a culture you've definitely talked about that so um i guess there's this thing going a oh, thing or you know there's talk going around um that there's these right clickers <laughs> let's call them that, um, that say, well, you can just right click and get a copy of an NFT. Why should I pay for it? And, you know, to NFT fans, then the right clicker is someone that essentially doesn't understand NFTs, right? And will never really get the view, like, uh, for instance, like to view the Mona Lisa online is quite different for having ownership or receipt of the Mona Lisa stash somewhere. Um, And in a recent interview, you even talked about that. You said, you know, you can also make a Mona Lisa your screensaver. Mm. Um, that is how art propagates itself, right? Um, but anyone can take a photo of art. Um, so I'd just love to know kind of if you can elaborate on your thoughts about, and you you did touch upon it, like the difference between owning mm. an NFT and, you know, just downloading or taking a screen grab of it. Yeah, that's true. It, it speaks to that uh, post-scarcity uh, mindset, right? Uh, the people who say they mm. can create a copy of that work of art, they're not wrong. I mean, it is digital. It's available, sure. Uh, 
So where does the value come from? Uh, for starters, it is exactly uh, you know what you just described. The fact that uh, the ownership is now um, the, and the provenance, which sort of uh, uh, commands uh, um, over seventy percent of uh, a conventional art house's uh, uh, resources, is now set in stone. Is now undeniable. But is that the extent of value? I think there's uh, an added layer to it, and which has not been discovered yet, to be honest. So where does the value mm. for a work of art come from? Does it come from scarcity? Does it come from provenance alone? Does it come from a combination of the two? Mm. Or is there um, another aspect to it which can give a work of art its value? And I think that other aspect is something that's uh, digital native, something that's blockchain native, which does not have an equivalent in um, you know in, in the real world today, which is why people have uh, trouble trying to wrap their heads around it. Yeah, it, it, and look, it, it's an evolving space to think, you know, what, a year and a half, two years ago, we didn't have NFTs, you know, so it, yeah. it's, it's you know, changing by the day or if not the hour, but it's a super exciting um, area. Um, I guess, speaking of excitement, I'd love to step into the metaverse with you and kind of discuss it we probably need an entire other podcast for it alone but um you know mark zuckerberg has described the metaverse is an embodied internet where instead of just viewing the content you are in it um with this in mind i'd love to talk about i guess how metaverse it's kind of leveraging existing virtual reality and augmented reality technologies whilst, you know, evolving into its own reality, yeah? So I guess how, my question is, how is the metaverse more than a buzzword at the moment? Because it's definitely a buzzword at the moment and I feel like you know probably better than most how it, how it's evolving and I guess what technologies are going to kind of spur it on so to speak yeah the thing is i mean tacking on uh, a phenomenon or a concept to a single technology would be um, you know missing the forest for the trees that's that's what's happening mm-hmm. currently so you know a, a virtual world does not make uh, the metaverse uh, vr or ar do not make the metaverse it is this idea uh, of of a space where every individual has complete control over his identity over his uh, you know um, property over his finances and how he moves about in that space mm-hmm. i think that's the uh, sort of crux of uh, metaverse i mean of the metaverse as a concept and uh, yes it is augmented by all of these technologies it is manifest in these different worlds but essentially the metaverse is a decentralized space so you can't have a metaverse and then have uh, you know a centralized kill switch that can turn everything off or mm. grab all of your assets or shut you out right <laughs> so you can't have that so it yeah. is essentially decentralized and is augmented with all of these technologies uh, ar and vr and the rest are are simply ways to experience the metaverse and they they can just mm-hmm. as well be ported onto centralized uh, um, you know universes and worlds so th- there's nothing stopping them from doing that. So those are not the things mm-hmm. um, that define the metaverse. I would say um, the 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 idea that it is a decentralized space, the idea that it is open mm-hmm. to everybody um, on the planet is what makes it the metaverse. And mm-hmm. that essentially means that it must exist on top of crypto. It cannot be, um, you know, centralized. Absolutely. Yeah. Cri- crypto powered. So I, 
I guess essentially, you know, if I'm hearing you right, virtual reality and augmented reality are almost like features within a metaverse kind of environment um, or products you can have. Um, I guess, I guess, um, and, and it's something you said recently in an interview, and I, I've kind of stalked your interviews of late, uh, but you said uh, something. My sympathies. That- yeah, no, I love it. I mean, you have you've been doing some great interviews that I've um, and podcasts as well. Obviously, this isn't your first one, but I'd love to hear you. You mentioned in one of your interviews that you kind of see the metaverse as like the eye of the storm or the catalyst of capturing this site guides that is the metaverse. Mm. Um, I guess without going too much, I guess uh, can you further elaborate on this and what makes I guess you so invested and involved in the future of the metaverse. I mean, it sounds like you're building your own metaverse at the moment uh, with Sook, but, yeah, I'd just love to know um, if you can elaborate on that just a little more because it's brilliant. Sure, sure. It, it's like uh, uh, you need some sort of a catchment area or some sort of a, a vessel, right, for all of this to uh, sit in and for you to make sense of it because, mm. you know, everything is abstract, everything is virtual. And so it, it feels a little... Sometimes it feels a little airy, not real enough, not tangible enough. And in in, uh, in my opinion, the metaverse uh, and these virtual worlds were never meant to be alternatives to the physical world. Where they help and, and their purpose is, is to sort of uh, to innovate very rapidly, to experiment boldly. That's the purpose of uh, a metaverse. I mean, what these architects did uh, with the souk is something they would never be able to do, um, you know, in in real life. So they they you know it's it, it's like innovation on steroids. In <laughs> that's that's what uh, yeah. the metaverse can represent. And also it becomes this vessel or a vehicle for the um, for the renaissance that I'm talking about, right? So where does culture from all over the world express itself? Where can it be seen? Where can it be experienced? Mm. That's that's what you know the metaverse is for pieces of it can then be translated on onto the physical world and dropped and tested right that's that's what's uh, going to happen dreamverse was one such experiment until it was uh, manifest in new york at terminal 5 we had no idea what art would look like <laughs> you know what nft art would look like in in physical spaces of that scale you know so that's the beauty of digital art again right it it is not physical art it's it's completely different one is uh, digital the other is physical but they're both art and the way digital art must be used is in you know you must leverage its malleability right you can look at it on on a tiny screen on your phone you can make it your screensaver you can also blow it up on a 30 foot screen at terminal 5 mm. and and you know all of these are enabled by the experiments that you do by the things that you build in the metaverse that's why we're invested in it mm. it's it's yeah it's such a fascinating area and you know i i feel like they've we've had this ar augmented reality kind of world kind of revolving around us at least it's been more in gaming and whatnot but it's going to be so interesting how we apply it to work and you know plays mm. concerts like just hanging out um even just doing a podcast like it's it's a very exciting time um I, I guess that brings me to, I guess, more an important <laughs> subject is about government, governance, right, um, in the metaverse. Mm. And will the reality, and you've talked about it um, earlier, you definitely see it as a decentralised, um, more like the concept of blockchain itself rather than a centralised metaverse. But I mm. guess how does the sense of ownership 
shift in the metaverse world and how does that i guess interrelate with government governments in the in the metaverse like how do you foresee that playing out mm, yeah, interesting yeah, it's a very interesting question january all right um mm. and i think what you're sort of being polite in not saying is that the metaverse does um replicate a lot of the imbalances that we see in the world today in the real world in the mm. physical world and that mm. is true uh, i mean it, it is still a place which rewards early adopters and the later ones uh, um, don't get a lot uh, and that's how you know e- even metaverse lands have worked typically Uh, i mean mm-hmm. we 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 do own the largest estate in decentraland uh, today because we got in very early it, was, mm-hmm. it feels good up to a point right but then what is in it what makes it sustainable for future generations those are problems that we still need to contend with um, you know and and again this is a problem that's not been solved whether it's tokens whether it's virtual worlds whether it's new projects whether it's even like pfp projects like uh, you know you know board apes or you know the the quantity of animals that we see in the metaverse today it rewards yeah. early adopters and yes. there is not much uh, in way of sustaining uh, a particular purpose but fortunately i see a shift in that it a lot of collectives are blooming in the space and that is encouraging in terms of not just ownership but also governance right um, decentralized mm-hmm. autonomous organizations or daos uh, come in many flavors and colors and with many specific purposes right you with daos you you get a chance to sort of uh, distill a certain purpose and spread it around in a collective and uh, have, uh, i think that's that's incredibly promising you have you can have a dao to um, you know with the with a purpose with a single minded purpose of simply um buying one particular nft or you can have a dao like the dada art collective which is building an entire alternate uh, uh, economy hidden economy you can have uh, you know um, technical daos like whale street which are building uh, financial instruments for artists and so on and so forth so i think the idea of um, decentralizing uh, decision making uh, but not necessarily to a massive population but to uh, but but to smaller collectives which all have similar intentions is the way to go as far as governance is concerned now these mm-hmm. collectives or pods as you can call them these daos can come together for larger purposes but decision making there is a sweet spot right of of uh, the number of people where um, communication works well where you know uh, a decision doesn't get fragmented too much i think daos are trying to find that sweet spot and once they do uh, the idea of a dao will propagate even further and become very powerful uh as an actual alternative to centralized governance fascinating wow this is this is great for those that are listening to this podcast and only kind of knew roughly what an nft was now we are talking metaverse and governments and it's like this is brilliant <laughs> thank you so much um i i guess that brings me to my next question like will ultimately nfts because let's be honest they have been such a huge adoption rate and uh people that you know buy into the culture so to speak have ownership and they're invested in it um and that's what really drives it so will nfts ultimately be the gateway to many let's say parties in the metaverse and how pivotal do you think nfts are to the success and formation of 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 a metaverse nfts are fundamental 
to the formation of the metaverse. NFTs are the the building blocks, the Lego blocks, uh, bricks that are needed to build uh, the metaverse. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, as for, uh, it's because their their potential is um, unlimited, right? You can do so much with them. They're basically just a digital pointer and they can point to anything that you want them to. They can point to uh, a specific asset, uh, a group of assets, an experience, yeah, you know, um, you know, rights to something and, and so on and so forth. So NFTs are these building blocks, which you can arrange in any which way to make the metaverse. Oh, I was just going to say, let's not forget for those listening that, you know, it becomes this thing where you think, or at least you kind of get pigeonholed into like NFTs are these dancing JPEGs, if you will. But there's so much more than that. They're, like you said, they're experiences, they're event tickets, they're, you know, um, they can point to anything. They're like, you know, it's very it's it's very diverse what you can what an NFT is, and I think we've got to remember that, right? <laughs> that it's many things, and the metaverse will show us that, right? Yeah, and and not all of them pleasant, right? I mean, you said a little earlier that uh, you know, um, they could be cash grabs, and there are many examples of you know quick get rich schemes within the NFT space. Uh, there is room for uh, a lot of uh, shady stuff <laughs> within the crypto space uh, and within the NFT space, definitely. But there is also room for a lot of this uh, innovation mm-hmm. for real change, which has real impact in the real world. That's no, brilliant. And I guess that, that does, that's a good segue. I, you know, it is, it's clear that met, the metaverse will be bigger than any one company. Um, and I definitely agree with you. It's the early adopters that are, you're going to, it's like, I guess you think of social media, the early adopters um, that got in early are kind of, you know, mm. your temples in the industry now. Um, uh, I guess my question is, it will take an industry to shape it. However, who do you think will be the early adopters? Maybe some players we've already seen. We've mentioned Christie's, obviously. Um, and who will be the trailblazers in the space mm. um, and why? And it may be some companies we already know, like Nike's out there doing a lot, um, but it might be some ones that you might anticipate uh, will we'll, we'll get in there, even though it feels like there's a lot of FOMO. It feels like if you're not in there now, you might miss the boat even. <laughs> um, so it's moving that fast. But, yeah, any insights there? Yeah, I think uh, everybody will get on the NFT bandwagon uh, eventually. Uh, and I don't think it's, I think it's just a matter mm-hmm. of time, really, because it, it you know that it works mm-hmm. now, right? You know that NFTs are this gateway into a lot of crypto goodness and people will want a piece mm-hmm. of that. As to who will be mm-hmm. trailblazers, I think is entirely dependent on every entity's intentions in the space. You know, how you get mm-hmm. in is is so important. Uh, right? You, <laughs> it's... The, the problem with NFTs and crypto is that it is antithetical to um, anything that's centralized uh, in terms of control or value. And uh, that's, a, that's a huge problem with a lot of uh, big companies, right? They are essentially centralized. Mm-hmm. And so even for gaming, right, this is what stops uh, like huge games from making headway in the NFT space. Um, because they're all, you know, extremely centralized entities. So how do you contend with something that's essentially decentralized? Do you hive off a part right. of yourself or uh, do you decentralize yourself entirely, right? So they're, they're stuck in, in, that, in that sort of a limbo space and have not figured out how to uh, approach the space. The trailblazers will be those 
that are able to look at the long term and not look at just how they can drop one particular product to a new audience but rather how do we generate value um, you know over a long period of time those guys will be the trail blazers mm that's fascinating um that's so true i i feel like it's almost you know it's the startups it's the new emerging companies that can also can build that don't have these legacy brands and <laughs> that can become you know a decentralized entity itself and just build a metaverse it's fascinating so um you know it brings me to recently um just last friday in fact um sportswear giant adidas originals uh recently earned 23 million by selling i think it was approximately 30,000 of its adidas in the meta into the metaverse um within a matter of hours of going on sale um so what do you think about trends like this that are bringing nft and metaverse to mainstream consumers i mean it's great for adoption right um yeah. i can i can only say it's a It's a great thing all round but yeah I just love your two cents on what you think about um things like this. Yeah I mean they're essential I believe trends like these uh because they like mm-hmm. you said they are good for adoption they show a lot of uh, engagement but uh I think uh they they will also eventually help in sort of tempering the the frenetic pace of this space right um it 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 has to stop at some point and there is already a bit of a dip in terms of uh, uh you know markets and numbers and stuff and it will temper the way people interact with it because you can only you know the 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 current boom that you're looking at in the nft space has been all about acquiring stuff right how many nfts can i like um, buy how many can i collect how many can i hold but then you start to ask yourself the question so what do i do with these nfts apart from selling them how do i mm-hmm. experience them and i believe the uh, actual uh, boom in this space will happen when people start to you know generate answers for that question how do i experience mm-hmm. these nfts that's where the real magic lies mm-hmm. yes yes how do i experience them that's brilliant mm-hmm. um i guess i'd love to know what you think is the biggest potential in the metaverse world and I might flip that question as well and what do you think is the biggest danger to the metaverse world perhaps I think the answer is uh, practically the same right we have this uh, opportunity in front of us to create a more uh, equitable world to undo the um, social and and financial and racial imbalances that we see in the real world with what we build in the metaverse and how we do it uh and the real danger also is there right because it's it's easy to not uh make that effort because it's hugely profitable to not not even try sometimes so uh, i think the biggest mm. opportunity that we have in front of us is the fact that nfts can be these time capsules of culture um no culture um needs to disappear ever again because it exists because this technology exists now i mean there are so many um, languages which are disappearing there are so many uh, cultures that have been passed down orally without a written tradition can all be now preserved uh, can all find some sort of representation um, can find some sort of space and i think that's the biggest potential it infuses variance in the world january right which <laughs> because the whole world is moving towards homogeneity and uh, um, uh, this trend of authoritarianism right 
the only antidote to that is to give mm. people an experience of something they've never had before uh, whether it's uh, you know music mm. or art or or culture from a place which they've never visited before never heard of before which has never had this kind of global representation mm. it's, it's it's brilliant it's i would love to have this podcast with you again in a year's time and just see like what you know has fruition <laughs> it's going to be a pretty wild ride 2022 um it's very exciting so um i guess that brings me i want to bring back to kind of metapurse um the fun right um is there a recent project um or investment that you guys have made um you spoke of souk earlier um that you're particularly excited about and you can elaborate on souk if you like i know it's hard to kind of you know uh, call out one of your babies, so to speak, mm. uh, uh, if you will. Um, but yeah, is there one that you're particularly excited about at the moment? Oh, uh, a few, actually, quite a few. You're right. I mean, um, we've invested in uh, over 30 uh, NFT-based enterprises over the last year, and we are excited about uh, all of them. To be honest, um, uh, we are particularly interested in artist-led entrepreneurships because. Uh, for some reason, we believe that you know the uh, mm-hmm. artists are able to remove financial considerations from how they approach innovation and entrepreneurship for some reason, and uh, that that's very interesting to us. And that's the only way in which you can sort of buck the trend or sort of look um, you know around the corner. So that's one. Mm-hmm. What we're currently interested in 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 working is uh, Dreamverse, um, the next iteration of it. We are you know thinking about how to make this better, how to make it uh, you know essentially more more colorful more infused with the ideals that that we hold dear um we are working with uh, working on the souk yes to make it a a mainstay in the metaverse uh we're working closely with whale street um you know to create interesting economic models for artists uh you know that they can own and use and i'm most excited about um something called the platform which is basically uh uh, a blockchain-based uh, publication house is, is the best way I can describe it. It's like uh, uh, a magazine, uh, mm. like the first archive for NFT art, but it's not like, uh, it doesn't come in editions, but rather it's not like a NFT fight, um, sorry, it's not like an NFT fight PDF, but it's rather a, a continuum uh, of, of the NFT story itself. And, uh, you know, we're still building it uh, together and most likely we'll launch it maybe in a couple of months. I'm excited about that. Wow. Very exciting. Yeah. Well, we can't wait to let us know here at Parlay Me. We're always happy to um, spread the word, so to speak. Um, and I'd love to finish, like, chatting about MedPurse with your investment thesis, which I think is just mm. something that stands out from to me from it, is this um, that you have this mindset of abundance. So I'd love mm. to know, like, how does that steer, I guess, your investment decisions and ultimately shape kind of the projects you create? Is it kind of a mantra for you guys or is it more just like a philosophy in general or how do you apply it? It comes uh, straight from Vignesh, to be honest. Uh, I mean, we have not sold a single NFT so far uh, because mm. Vignesh does not need the NFT space to make money. This is not a space, uh, you know, which which he... Uh, which he ever looked to monetize. It is more a manifestation of his intentions for the world and, you know, how he can experiment, uh, you know, mm. create social experiments here. So 
that has uh, you know opened up and, and freed me as a steward of metaverse in in how i look at nfts how i look at art i have never had to look at a work of art and think is this going to be valuable tomorrow in in terms of eth or usd right and so that is incredibly freeing that's the mindset of abundance i'm i'm talking about and the investment thesis also comes from his idea of uh, you know if if, uh, if if i were to distill it i'd say if the project we're looking at solves today's problem and fits it like a glove then it's probably not worth investing in there must be an element of ambiguity mm. to what they do to what they're trying to achieve and it must be something that will manifest maybe in 2 or 3 years time not essentially just fits today's necessity um that that's that's a simple uh, mm. distilled version of mm. the thesis yeah yeah it's definitely a long term this is a long term play it's not a not a quick fix um and i feel yeah. like we are almost just at the beginning right um and I, I i'd love to chat i guess um to kind of just wrap up i guess our metaverse discussion in general maybe one or two or three if you have it predictions mm. or trends um you think and let's just say i had perhaps the next two to three years <laughs> but we could say the next two to three months or we could say like the next 20 to 30 years but what's i guess your three predictions if you have them oh well <laughs> i think um it's, it's tough isn't it i need another podcast no no uh, <laughs> I, I, i don't even want to get into uh, predictions as such but uh, but here it is it's a combination of what i think might happen and what i hope uh, will happen is um, one prediction is that i think um, there will be a saturation for pfp projects at some point unless they pivot and find a higher purpose mm-hmm. rather than just mm-hmm. creating uh, a group of people to flip high powered assets on that's one second is like i said uh, the whole nft space is going to move towards experience and try and discover um, more crypto native mm-hmm. and nuanced ways of attaching value to art and to nfts so that's the second one and what else can i think of Yeah, I think there's there's going to be a lot more you you do okay. One. Let's hear it. I I've got one Metaverse Metaverse is going to launch Souk, <laughs> which is going to be the next <laughs> platform for, you know, all your Metaverse experiences. There you go. You heard it yeah. here first people. But yeah, no, I'm very excited for what you guys are producing and creating at Metaverse. So, um definitely exciting time. So, uh, we have two final questions here at Parlay Me which we always ask um equally important in no particular order, but is there an entrepreneur um that has inspired you um I guess it could be someone we know like Richard Branson mm. or it could be a colleague, it could be even a family member. I mean, my dog <laughs> inspires me daily. <laughs> but, you know, is there, is there something or someone that I guess has kind of you know to be an entrepreneur it's a risky business you have to be a certain mindset is there someone that kind of went oh okay i can do this <laughs> because because i've seen this person do this or x y me personally um not really because i i suppose i don't see myself as an entrepreneur at all uh, i mean I, i've been inspired by vignesh's ideas in this space and i think they are very unique and have caused a sort of 
a fundamental shift in my worldview so he has definitely been an inspiration but personally my life i've been inspired by you know by by subramanya bharati who is a who was uh, part of the freedom struggle uh, uh, in the indian independence he is a firebrand poet from tamil nadu the south of india where where i come from and uh, i suppose uh, my father this these three individuals <laughs> have inspired oh good good excellent well thank you for sharing that with us it's very very kind of you and uh final question and we are not endorsing gambling in any way or fashion <laughs> but if okay. you were a gambling man would you be and if you were um would you be a blackjack a roulette or a poker player you know i i have no idea uh, about any of these games so i'm going to choose uh uh i'm going to choose roulette because because i know what it's what it looks like <laughs> there you go there you go Sounds good. It sounds like something you could maybe yeah, eat, right? Yeah, Roulette. Yeah. Um, okay, good. We, we often ask that question because we like to kind of understand the mindset. Um, because blackjack is a little more technical. Roulette is, let's just say, there's always some skill, but it's really a lot yeah. of luck. And poker player is you know, poker face. So, um, that's fine. We're, we're, but it's good to know you gravitated towards roulette. Um, look, I thank you so much for your time today, Anad. It's been brilliant. I've definitely learned so much more about NFTs, the metaverse, Metapurse. Um, it's just been brilliant. For those that are listening and want to get in contact with you, do you have a preferred way? Like is LinkedIn good? Is Twitter good? Should they just, I don't know, <laughs> should they stalk you best? <laughs> you can you can write to me at tubador at metapurse.fund. Um, you can follow us on Twitter okay. at Metapurse or okay. at Tubador. Uh, these are easiest. Just you know, write to us, reach out to us, you know, stalk us. Excellent, indeed, indeed. Um, some people might you might find your inbox even more full. So I apologize for that, but it's always great to hear from people all over the world with amazing ideas. Um, thank you so much, Anand, for your time or Tubador, I should call you. Um, I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to chat with you in the future and follow up on all your amazing Metapurse announcements and developments in the near future. So thank you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, Janvi. This was a pleasure.